You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You love them, you hate them, and you can't stop talking about them. Announcers, analysts, pundits, they're all fair game. It's Sports Media Payhem with Alex Reamer. Time to let it rip. Hello, everybody, and welcome into another edition of the Sports Media Mayhem Podcast. My name, of course, is Alex Reamer, and you can find the show wherever you can find your favorite podcasts. We are available on Spotify, Apple, Google. You know the drill by now. Download, listen, rate, subscribe. It is much appreciated. have a big theme that I want to start off on the show this week, and then we'll get to our guest, our guest of honor, Henry McKenna covers the Patriots and AFC East for Fox Sports. I chat with Henry about the changing perception around Bill Belichick. Yeah, carnival barkers like me are getting on Belichick this year for his disastrous offensive plan and a disastrous offensive performance of the Patriots and putting Patricia and Judge in charge of Mac Jones and all that. But hey, as I said, I'm a carnival barker. It's not new or unique for me to bash Belichick. What is unique and new, though, are friends of Belichick, most notably Mike Lombardi, saying this week in a video breakdown, the Patriots don't have an offense. They just run a bunch of plays. Wow. So in friends of Belichick, when ex-players such as Kurt Warner are saying he'd be bored to death playing quarterback here, is the perception around Belichick really changing? I talked with Henry Kenna about that and many other Patriots and media notes coming up in a few moments. But the theme I want to hit on before I get to Henry are big name announcers, I think, regretting their decisions to chase the money. And maybe, at least in the case of ESPN, they're regretting handing out these big contracts. Of course, one of the big stories this NFL offseason was not only the quarterback musical chairs we saw happen around the league, but the broadcaster musical chairs. Mike Tirico was in at Sunday Night Football. Al Michaels was out. Al Michaels went to Amazon to head up its new Thursday night team with Kirk Herbstreet. Joe Buck and Troy Aikman out at Fox, in at ESPN, signing deals worth a combined $30 million annually. Kevin Burkhardt, Craig Olson moved into the number one spot on Fox. And where are we now with five weeks left in the season? As I said, I think regrets, there are a plenty. Al Michaels has sounded miserable all season calling these horrific Thursday night games on Amazon. Uh, He even said to the Boston Globe's Chad Finn last week that he thinks the schedule has been a little soft, calling out the Panthers-Falcons game in particular. And if you watch the Patriots-Bills Thursday night, another miserable game, 24-10. Patriots were never in it. 
Al Michaels, you could, you could, you could hear, you could sense the disdain just dripping from his voice, ripping the Patriots or not even ripping because that implies that he was passionate about it. Just, just, you could just taste the, you could feel the scorn emanating from his voice when the Patriots fumbled their timeouts at the end of the first half. Al Michaels saying that was very not New England-like. Mac Jones at the end, a particularly pathetic play where he's running all around like a chicken with his head cut off, then fires an incompletion to Kendrick Bourne. Al Michaels put in a dig that Mac Jones was running from here to Providence, getting the bill, the name of the Bills punter wrong, saying that Sam Martin, the Bills punter, didn't punt at all against the Patriots last season, getting quite a workout tonight with three kicks, and then Al Michaels was told that actually Sam Martin did not punt for the Bills last year, and then he laughed it off because what does it matter? The games suck anyway. So I think Al Michaels wanted to stay at NBC's Sunday Night Football. It's apparent that NBC pushed him out. Al Michaels is 77 years old, and they have that young buck, Mike Tirico, who's in his late 50s, waiting in the wings. I, I love high-level sports announcing. It's it's like politics, right? I mean, Paul, uh, Congress is not the only geritocracy uh, here in the U.S. Uh, Mike Tirico in his late 50s is viewed as you know the new young gun on the NBC team. But anyway, I think it's apparent that Al Michaels, if given his choice, would have stayed at NBC Sunday Night Football for the rest of his career. Why wouldn't he? It's the, they get the best games, Super Bowl every few years, et cetera. Um, but, it, but he was out. NBC, you know, I think pushed him out a bit due to his age. Then he goes to Amazon. And look, it's hard to feel bad for Al Michaels. He's earning reportedly $1 million per game. But still, you know, I don't think this is how he envisioned his career ending, calling these wretched games, sitting next to a wretched and vapid NFL analyst in Kirk Herbstreet, who clearly is not up on the product at all. Um, he has no chemistry with Herbstreet either. It's a very standard broadcast, despite the fact that it's on Amazon. They have the pregame show, the halftime show. They even have commercials. Um and it's worse because you can't change the channel when you're locked in on streaming. Um, so, yeah, I think it's fair to say that Al Michaels is not loving his decision right now. And, you know, I think it's fair to ask once this NFL season ends, will Al Michaels just say, eh, I've made enough millions of dollars in my career. I'm going to be 78 now. He signed a three-year deal with Amazon. Does he really want to be calling these lousy games into his 80s. Is that what Al Michaels really wants to do? And I know that legendary broadcasters seldom hang it up, right? Vince Scully was calling games into his 90s with the Dodgers. Go on down the line. These guys don't want to give up the limelight. But is Al Michaels even really still in the limelight? Judging by the way he's calling these Thursday night's games, and again, Bill's, uh, Bill's Patriots last week, chief among them, just the disdain and distaste you you hear in his voice and just how bored he sounds. Uh, I don't think he's enjoying this very much. And if our Al Michaels, I would seriously think about stepping back and saying, I've had an incredible career, maybe the greatest career of all time for any sports broadcaster. I've made millions of dollars. Let me just slide into some sort of emeritus role with NBC, pop up a couple times a year, maybe, and then be done and enjoy my golden years rather than schlep all the way to, you know, uh, Carolina for some awful Falcons-Panthers Thursday night game. And Al Michaels even said in that interview with the Globe last week that he's built up a lot of great relationships around the league over the years, but working the Thursday night game 
you get far less time with the teams than if you're working a regular Sunday or Monday night game. And Al said he doesn't even enjoy that part. He used to like talking with all the coaches, players, executives, and can't do that really anymore either. So I don't think Al Michaels is having fun. You hear it in his work. And if I were him, I would seriously consider hanging it up. Uh, Joe Buck and Troy Aikman obviously are not going to hang it up. They're still in the prime of their broadcasting careers. But it's interesting. ESPN Monday Night Football heading into the season, one of the things that I said and many others said was, well, maybe now with Buck and Aikman's presence, Monday Night Football on ESPN will have a bigger feel. And through the first couple weeks of the season, it did seem that way, and the ratings followed. But they've leveled off and leveled off big time since then. Uh, This past Monday, Tom Brady led another epic fourth quarter comeback, the 44th of his career, new NFL record. Viewership was still well below Patriots Bills last year. Remember that horrible wind, snow, rain game where what? The Patriots attempted two passes, three passes all night and one. Well, 14.9 million people watched that game NFL week 13 last year. 11.27 million people watched Saints Buccaneers this past Monday night, despite, again, another epic fourth quarter comeback from Tom Brady. Um, So ratings were down by millions of people compared to week 13 last year. And overall, Monday Night Football viewership has now declined in eight of the last 10 weeks. The full season average 13.4 million viewers is roughly on par with last year, but on par does not mean better. And as I said, ratings declining in eight of the last 10 weeks. And what was the highest rated NFL game uh, of all time? Regular season game? It was Cowboys Giants on Thanksgiving. And who was calling that? Kevin Burkhart and Greg Olson. Not the names like like Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. So I think it shows you right there that huge names in broadcasting. And you don't get any bigger than Joe Buck and Troy Aikman. uh, They do not bring the eyeballs. And it makes you wonder... $30 million annually between the two. Is that the best money spent for ESPN? Mm, If I were Fox, it'd be a little, I would not be feeling as good. But my $375 million commitment to Tom Brady. Let me just say that. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. John Heyman probably does not feel very good about uh, (laughs) his week so far. He tweeted a couple days ago that Arson Judge signed with the Giants before deleting it and then saying Aaron Judge is signing with the Giants before deleting that and saying he actually has not heard from the Giants. And then we found out Wednesday morning that Judge re-signed with the Yankees, nine years, $360 million, largest contract ever given to a free agent in Major League Baseball. Um... People have been making fun of Heyman. That's what happens when you get something like this wrong and you add in a typo on top of it, arson judge. But I think from a big picture standpoint, what I find interesting about this little Heyman storyline and other things like this is, you know, 15 years ago, maybe even as recently as 10 years ago, before 
Well, every reporter was on Twitter in 2012, but so let's go 15 years ago. If you were a major MLB insider, let's just say, and you got the biggest free agent signing of the offseason dead wrong, as John Heyman did, uh, that's something that usually would stick with you. But now that's not the case because you're tweeting dozens of times a day and there's all these aggregators out there looking to pick up the content. I mean, John Heyman, if he tweets on Thursday about, uh, you know, Xander Bogarts or whomever, or he's hearing this rumor, that rumor, he's still a legitimate name. Everybody's going to follow that. His arson judge tweet is not going to impact how seriously his reports are taken. So that used to be the greatest fear of these insiders, right? The greatest fear was getting the story wrong. Now the greatest fear is getting the story last. Because if you do make a mistake, you're on to the next one in 30 seconds. It doesn't carry with you. All right. Henry McKenna, as I mentioned, good friend of mine. Always love catching up with him. He covers the AFC East for Fox Sports after spending the last several years in the trenches covering the Patriots and receiving more than a few Belichick stare downs. So I talked to Henry, as I said at the top, with the changing perception around Belichick, whether Mac Jones is really dropping the subtle hints in his press conference about his unhappiness that many think he is, and what he's noticed covering other teams in the league after covering the Patriots for so long. That's coming up on the other side. It's a Sports Media Mayhem podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. All right, welcome back to the show. As I was saying in the open, always great to check in with our pal, Henry McKenna, who works for Fox Sports covering the AFC East. Henry, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. Thanks for having me, Alex. Yeah, always good to catch up, as I was saying. So my big thesis for this week in regards to the Patriots are a lot of friends of Belichick, FOBs, if you will, I think are starting to starting to pile on their man a little bit. Uh, Mike Reese, who's usually very measured, I think had some pointed criticism of Belichick in his Sunday Notes column, which of course is very warranted and very well laid out. But I pay attention when someone like Reese uh, digs in a little bit like that. And then I think we had Al Michaels even on the telecast Thursday uh, expressing his uh, discontent with the Patriots' bizarre timeout usage. And then I would say most notably, Henry, Mike Lombardi this week says the Patriots do not run an offense. They just run a bunch of plays. So do you read into this as well? Do you think that there is a legitimate change in how Belichick is being perceived? Well, you forgot about most, most notably Uh-oh. Henry McKenna of Fox Sports for a column for this it. week. <laughs> uh, uh, criticizing Belichick's management of the coaching staff. I think uh, I wrote going into this year that Belichick was taking more risks than ever, than he's ever done right. in how he structured his team. Usually in any given season, we'll see Belichick take, you know, one or two risks with one counterintuitive solution that he pulls the rabbit out of the hat for. So, this year, they went in without a cornerback one, and he's kind of figured out how – well, it, it's I'm not sure if it's him or Steve Belichick or Gerard Mayo, but somebody on the defensive side of the ball has figured out to a degree how to how to manage a defense without a cornerback one. Now, in recent weeks, you could argue that that's falling apart It doesn't work too. out so well when you play a, re- a wide receiver one. Exactly. So Justin Jefferson beating them up, um, Stefan Diggs beating them up. So you could argue that's not working either, but – you know, that was one risk that he had sort of a counterintuitive solution. Maybe he was going to go all zone defense. This, And then there's the offensive side of the ball where 
you know, they're seeing a huge amount of brain drain from Josh McDaniel's departure and Belichick starts filling in people with no resume for offensive football or limited resume. And it just didn't make any sense at the time. And, you know, you, you, with Belichick, you kind of have to give him the benefit of the doubt, right? Like he's, he's used these strange solutions to come up with really great, interesting storylines for us to write about because they, they somehow work out and they somehow end up at the Super Bowl. And Belichick ends up, you know, looking even better as a Hall of Fame coaching candidate, maybe the greatest of all time, almost definitely the greatest of all time. But this seemed like a year where he overextended himself and he tried to do too many new things and he tried to put too many people into new positions, most notably now, um, Matt Patricia, Joe Judge. And it sounds like, you know, maybe there are a few other people helping out with that offensive side of the ball. So that was a long-winded way of saying, is Belichick perceived differently? I think, you know, once he retires, this season will fade into the backdrop of his Super Bowl wins. But um, this definitely looks like a gaffe on his stamp, you know, on on him. And I think you, you go back to the beginning of the season, I think Belichick's been nicer than ever to the media. It's it's how how often do we see like bristly death stare deadpan Belichick? How many times at this point in the season is is he going viral for that? And how yeah, many times many. this season? Well, yeah, usually he's gone viral like you know five times by now. Yeah. This time, this year, a time, mm-hmm. this time this year, probably no times. Right? He's actually like you can see the concerted effort from him to win over the court of public opinion. Why? Because he knows he's losing it and he knows it's a product of these risky decisions that he's made. So it's a weird year for Belichick. And I think even he knows that he's sort of created a situation that even his biggest media supporters don't have a lot of ground to stand on in supporting him anymore. That's interesting. I know you've been on the receiving end of some of those Belichick stare downs in the past. Um, And yeah, you know, you even mentioned like, he obviously hasn't done it as much the last couple of weeks after tough losses to the Vikings and Bills. But earlier in the season, I remember what they scored, what, three points against the Jets and Belichick stands up there and goes, well, obviously we moved the ball well. I mean, really? Like, I mean, can you imagine Belichick three, four years ago pumping, you know, thumping his chest after a three point performance on offense? Uh, you know, he did this even dating back to Cam Newton, uh, creating excuses that he didn't create previously. So I agree. I have noticed a shift and Belichick's strategy. And I think it shows that he does pay more attention to the public perception than a lot of people believe. Yeah. 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 I mean, you, you hit it on the head. It, it will be interesting to see this. I mean, they're, they're right in the middle of the playoff hunt. I think the bills and the dolphins are heading into tough parts of the season, including uh, another game between the Patriots and the bills. Um, so the AFCE is hardly sorted and, You know, it's hard to have faith in Belichick's Patriots right now because, you know, even he's like we just said, even he seems to know that his his team's floundering a little bit. But maybe somehow, potentially, they kind of get themselves back into the discussion in the AFC East over these next few weeks and and make a push for a playoff spot. They really are eighth in the AFC. They're they're one spot out of a playoff seed. So. They could easily get into the playoffs. 
They could. It's crazy the Jets are ahead of them. Uh, in yeah. this. It is insane if you've seen those games. Um, but the other thing, too, you talk about Belichick's long-term legacy, and I agree that when he retires, 2022 season fades away, no doubt. But, you know, the overarching storyline, Belichick without Brady, I mean, you know, I saw Richard Sherman on Amazon's coverage Thursday saying, look, I've been saying this all along. Belichick is nothing special without Brady. LaShawn McCoy has said that this year. And this, all this does is it gives all those people – further ammunition to really lay into it. And right now, I mean, they would be right. The Patriots, I think, are exactly a 500 team, maybe a game or two below since Brady left. No, come on. That's just not true. Like, that's revisionist. It's easy to say that now with Brady having a Super Bowl in hand and Belichick, like you said, looking 500 post-Brady. But if you go back to the beginning of the – Brady Belichick era and you see yes. those first three Super Bowls like we just haven't watched those in forever nobody like not even Patriots fans have really watched those games in forever because they've had three other Super Bowls to watch right. you know so I think it's a matter of playing prisoner of the moment we haven't seen the you know the days where Belichick was was a schematic genius um and of elevating brady versus you know the second the second run of super bowls brady was elevating the whole team right and belichick was doing what he could to um to kind of manage having a big quarterback because at the time salary cap management is not as adept as it was now teams weren't using void years to like yeah 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 pack superstars onto a team it was kind of like building balanced football teams and belichick was trying to do that around brady's big contract so i think i think it's you're underrating belichick if you think that suddenly not having tom brady discredits him you have to go back to those that first decade of patriots football to remember just how elite um belichick was then and we're talking in decades like this guy oh. has a legacy so to, to isolate it to just like you know these are the years he didn't have tom brady like that's again that's still crazy to me to think that you can you can go back 20 reevaluate the 20 years with brady it's like go back to the beginning watch all of those games and you will you will see that belichick knew what he was doing and that brady's first few super bowls were a product of belichick and not the other way around and I think there's no doubt that if you were to put some truth serum into Belichick, he would tell you he'd much rather have the first three Super Bowls than the last couple he had. I mean, enjoyed those maybe a little bit more because, uh, you know, as you said, he gets more of the credit. Um, so I also want to ask you, because as you said, you've been around the, the Patriots for, you know, several years and a lot in these press conferences, watching Belichick, these players at the podium. There's been a lot of talk on talk radio this year that Mac Jones is dropping like, these subtle hints that he's upset with the direction of the offense. He said this week, I think, you know, I want to be coached harder and people are now viewing, Oh, that's another shot at Patricia judge. So do you think Mac Jones has been subtly expressing some discontent this year, or is that just talk radio people overanalyzing the words of a, what is he? 23, 24 year old. No, it's real. It's definitely real. He's, He's doing what he can to toe the company line where, you know, he's been media trained not to say anything. But these, like you said, these slivers of truth or half truths or or sort of concealed truths are slipping into his 
comments and you see him say it and then you see him back talk it backtrack it right you know and try and nullify what he said playing damage control which is a familiar role for him this year yeah and i think he knows what he's doing he's trying to he knows he doesn't have a lot of power on this team and that ultimately if belichick wants to keep patricia another year and judge and that whole brain trust in its in its spot for another year that Jones doesn't have power to change it. But I think Jones wants a different offensive coordinator next year. And that that Jones maybe was bought in at the beginning to this group of coaches because, he, you know, Belichick is Belichick and there's there's not a lot of reason not to trust him. Right. But now that we're looking at one of the worst offenses in the NFL and Mac Jones looking like, maybe the worst starter right now in the NFL yeah. or, or right there at like 30. Um, it just, that Mac Jones has every reason to want Bill O'Brien or somebody with a, with a more proven track record to give Jones another shot because obviously, I mean, everybody saw Jones in 2021. He looked like right in the middle of the road NFL starter, but it was year one. So you had to think, okay, maybe he could be, you know, a Matt Ryan type where, yeah pocket passer with Super Bowl potential with the right supporting cast. And it's, it's worked the opposite way. It's like, okay, well, maybe the Patriots need to think about drafting another quarterback because Jones has been so bad. So he's in a really tenuous position in his NFL career and he needs to telegraph to the fan base, to the owner and to his head coach gently that he needs a different offensive coordinator. Yeah. And I mean, Mac Jones, I mean, he is a brand even at his age, first round pick, Alabama product, all that stuff. Um, Also quickly, Patricia, you know, I think what also hurts, I mean, obviously the performance is terrible and anybody would be getting, you know, rightfully killed for the offense out there. But Patricia too, I think is an especially kind of loathsome character dating back to Detroit, the way he treated reporters there, telling them to sit up once in a press conference. I remember that. So I don't know. I don't think that exactly these personalities around Belichick really help either you know what i'm saying no patricia lost favor in new england before he lost favor in detroit i think his defenses there was the benching malcolm butler which nobody knew who did that there was um a, a, a series of bad defensive performances in the years after that super bowl particularly in the playoffs so there were a lot of um patricia detractors in New England coming out of the word work right at the end of his New England stint. Yeah. The first one. That's and then he, <clears throat> excuse me. And then he goes to Detroit and all of a sudden he immediately lost the locker room there. Like it right. didn't take months. It took days. There was right. instantly the, there was, I think it was the Detroit free press. Yes. Had, had a, a report that like the veterans didn't buy into him from day one. So that's, that's a problem. <laughs> and Patricia comes back to New England. He's sort of like a director of uh, football research. No, that's Ernie Adams. I forget what his t- title is. It's like czar. a consultant. Yeah. Czar. A consultant, a bit of uh, contract work, a bit of scouting work, a bit of coaching work. He was doing sort of everything. And Belichick was just kind of keeping him on staff, keeping him relevant in the football world. And um, I don't think Patricia has a strong reputation 
outside of the Gillette Stadium facility. I, so yeah. I, I, I don't know how valuable that is to to anyone, but Belichick loves Patricia. That's all that really matters in this situation. Undoubtedly. I'll get you out of here on this, Henry. As we say, you've covered the Patriots exclusively for some time, but you're in a new role now. Uh, what's it been like seeing how the other side lives, covering other teams in the AFC East? Has any has there been any big differences to you, or has there not been? Because I was talking with Kyrie Thompson a few a while back, who covers the Patriots for us now at WEI, and he was saying that he covered the Bears for a bit, and actually he says the Patriots are more easy to deal with than the Bears, which I thought was surprising. So yeah, what's what's been your take now that you've been again seeing how the other side lives? Yeah, the Bears are actually a notoriously challenging right. yeah. PR team. And I um, I think the Patriots do make some things accessible to us as media. The Patriots broadcast all of their press conferences. They, they generate transcripts for all of the press conferences. These are all like little things that they do for the media that um, other franchises don't necessarily do. And it makes lives easier. Um but but fans don't really care about that. Uh, what, what I think is interesting about these teams um, is you look at the Bills and they are not a game plan oriented team. So so I've I always covered the Patriots. I've always seen them, you know, sort of hit the delete button at, at the beginning of every week and mm-hmm. draw up a new game plan. So I've never seen a team that doesn't really do that and. Mm-hmm. For us in New England, we have never really known anything different unless you're sort of of the generation of a fan that's been, you know, with this team for 30 years. Um, so I, I've i sort of found it interesting to see, you know, Sean McDermott's defense, which relies largely around the same core tenants every week. They run a lot of the same stuff and, they, and they're just good at it and they're just really talented and they... They can win based on um, their fundamentals versus Belichick, who creates a scheme every single week that is different and highlights different players and gets them in different positions. And it's it's constantly a thought experiment. And that's really different than what a lot of teams do. Now, I think it's kind of lazy that some teams don't do it, but you can't argue with the Bills results. It's obviously not laziness. They just... They just have a good team and they don't need to use scheme. So I was talking to AJ Epinesa, who's a defensive end for the bills. And he was like, he was speaking of players who, who were like very gently throwing shade. He was saying, you know, the Patriots successes are due to scheme and hmm. the bills successes are due to players. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and so that was just interesting to hear is, is like, these players feel very valued on the bills team because the scheme is, is simple enough to highlight individuals versus Belichick. He uses his scheme to highlight the whole team defense. And it's just like a total philosophical uh, difference between new England and Buffalo, whether players feel individually appreciated or whether the whole unit feels appreciated and how the final product is cooked and how that, you know what I mean? Like there's just, There are so many layers to managing a, a, a football team and how people go about, you know, playing the game of chess that, you know, there's like 32 games of chess every game. Like every snap is a game of chess uh, right. on the football field. So, uh, yeah, I think I, in, and in that respect, I think I've come to appreciate Belichick's way of running his team more than ever because 
he does draw up these fascinating, exotic, sometimes uh, game plans to beat defense uh, to beat offenses in different ways. Now this year he's supposedly planning the offense, and those individual game plans look like crap. Five yard checkdowns are great, yeah, I'm yeah. and they don't look particularly imaginative either. So, um, but I think on defense it, it it shows you know just how brilliant he was that he was cooking up uh, different different game plans for different teams and it's it's definitely hard work to be that creative uh on a on a weekly basis henry appreciate your uh creative responses here good stuff uh thanks for joining me yeah take it easy alex